Hello, I am Annie McManus. Welcome to Changes. This week, my guest is DJ and broadcasting legend Trevor Nelson. Currently heard on BBC Radio 1 Extra and Radio 2, Trevor has had a phenomenally successful career broadcasting for 35 years, starting on KISS when it was a pirate station in the 80s where he stayed for 10 years before joining Radio 1 in 1996, hosting the first ever national R&B show. It's testament to Trevor that he's still broadcasting now. Um, His career has been so long and so consistent. He is such a solid and talented broadcaster, so warm on air, such a brilliant interviewer and just so passionate about what he does. He really is like the definition of kind of a figurehead when it comes to R&B and black music on the radio. In the late 90s, he presented The Lick on MTV and won a MOBO award for Best DJ, which he has won twice. He has interviewed pretty much all the greats. Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Beyonce, Janet Jackson, Lauryn Hill, Jay-Z, Kanye, P. Diddy, Muhammad Ali. It's It's quite mad when you see all those people listed together and it gives you a really good, I guess, measure of how long he's been around and how long he's been at the top of his game. Well, Trevor Nelson started his life in Hackney in East London. Born to immigrant parents, they came over from St. Lucia. And he has spent his career really being in the minority and paving the way for others. Trevor is someone who's always been such a solid and warm and generous presence in my career at Radio 1. Whenever you see him, you know you're always going to be guaranteed a great chat, a big hug, like a genuine interaction. I've always hugely admired him. And part of me feels like that Trevor, because he's been around for so long and because he's such a low-key guy in real life, there's an element of people just kind of taking him for granted. He's just always that kind of safe voice on the radio. I thought it would be nice to take a moment on changes to really hold a magnifying glass up to him and learn about the man behind the voice that we hear week in, week out on our radios. Please welcome to Changes, Trevor Nelson. So I would like to start this, if it's okay with you, by you confirming if this is true, that your favourite first line of a song ever is Sam Cooke. Yes. Change is going to come. Yes. What's the line? I was born by the river in a little tent and ooh, just like the river I've been running ever since. It's been a long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Why? Why is that so meaningful to you? (sighs) On so many levels. I mean, I first heard that as a child... I mean, it's like the 400 years is in that line. You know what I mean? It's almost like he's picking cotton when he wrote that song. Yeah. You know, Sam Cooke was one of the first. I mean, he owned everything he did. He was a very bright guy. Right. He was one of the first sort of musician, businessman, black, black musician, businessman types. And even he still felt it. You know, mm. he was seen as completely acceptable, pretty, pretty man, star, biggest soul singer of his of his generation. But yet that song, when he sings it, it's it's as if he hasn't got a penny to his name. Mm. And I'm not I'm never one to I mean, you've known me a long time. Mm. You've never heard me wave that flag, oh, it's really hard for us. I've never, never I've never been that guy, and I'm not that guy, but music has a way of reminding you. That's it. Just hit me like a mallet on the head, and it just and it, I've carried that song with me mentally all mm. my life, all my life. 
You know, like I feel music isolates you after. If you become successful in this business, yeah. it's a very lonely place. Why? Because, well, you know, <laughs> because you have your thoughts. Yeah. Only you think the way you think. You can have people who share a lot of common beliefs and stuff like that. But when it comes to doing a show, what you're going to say, what, what what's going on in your head when you're about to do an interview, mm. only you can know that. Only you can know that. Only yeah. you can know and that. it's all so, on you. Yeah, it's all on you. No matter how you. good your team it's, are. It's all on you. No matter what, it's all your name's above the door. Sure. So I feel it's a very lonely job being a broadcaster. Yeah. Especially someone who represents a style of music, you know what I mean? And, mm. and cuts through. But you're going to be lonely. It's really interesting to say that. I find that as a DJ. I yeah. find DJing quite lonely. I'm always jealous of DJ duos. I feel yeah. like it's it's exacerbated by being in front of a big crowd because it's just you and your it internal dialogue. You. <laughs> it's literally just no, you hanging out with yourself 100%. in a DJ booth. I've got so many thought processes, right? <laughs> That um, being this extrovert person because of the job you do, yes. but actually being incredibly introverted. But I think a lot of DJs are shy. I think a lot of DJs are shy. I think as a DJ, we're like a one-person band. You know yeah. what I mean? We're like drums, percussion, you know, yeah. keyboards, lead mm. singer, all rolled into one. And it's the same with broadcasting. It's, a, it's an amazing job, but it is, I think... For me, loving music has always been a v very much about just me and the music and... I can't really involve too many other people in it apart from the listeners. Do you feel like sometimes as a broadcaster you have to play a role? You have to put on a certain... Persa like, persona? Yeah. No. Because a lot of DJs do have that. Yeah. They I, have a kind of, it's kind of like they just turn into someone else in front of the mic. No, no. The only thing I do is when the mic goes up and it goes red, it's like I'm talking in front of my parents so I don't swear. That's the only thing I do. And I do come a bit alive. I, you know, the amount of times you go into a studio and you're absolutely knackered. You are shattered. Yeah. You've been just got off a plane, you've been gigging somewhere or you've just had a row with your partner or whatever's yeah, yeah. gone on that's emotionally drained you. Yeah. When that mic goes up, so I do turn into something, I do flick a switch, but it's still me. It must be exhausting having a persona. I've always thought that too. Exhausting having to snap, put your Superman outfit on yeah. and go, right, I'm going to talk this way, I'm going to... Sure. No, I can't just... I'm so glad... That everybody, when they bump into me, go, you sound like you're on the radio. You yeah, sound yeah. just like the bus. Oh, thank God. Thank yeah. God you said that. I totally get the lonely thing. And it's interesting just like doing research on you, which was an absolute joy. Was it? Say, I just listened to the Lauren Hill Divas episode on oh, the way okay. here. Okay. And just listening to what you do, going back over old interviews, mm. looking at interviews. And also just like reminding myself about, you know, you in your career as a broadcaster. You are so universally liked. I wasn't looking for it, but mm. there was no no one has a bad word to say to you about you. Why do you think that is? I work really hard at that. <laughs> do you? I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I think that um, I've avoided being a boss. That's one thing. Mm. If you run any form of a company, you're going to get people. You're going to have to fire some people. True. And so some people are going to say things they don't, you know, about you. I avoid confrontation. I used to get it in my personal life, so I don't need it at work, right? you know? So work was my escape. I'm not Will Smith, who, who got found out, right? Who got found out. How do you out. mean? Found out for, well, he, being, for, for, for putting on a front of falseness. Well, he slapped Chris Rock. So there was a lot of repressed yes, rage. Yes, I think so. He's a very giving interviewer. My method has been to empty my head. A lot of people, you if you, you talk to 100 people who work with me, they'll probably say whatever, whatever, and then I say, oh, he shares. He shares. I'll come in and I'll say what's on my mind. Right. Love that. I will say things I probably shouldn't say to people who I barely know. I have a theory. If you empty your head, you can move on. Mm. 
And sometimes it might mean sharing, oversharing sometimes. Babe, you spill the tea. Yes. You're very fun. Yes. When Trevor comes in your studio for a chat, the first <laughs> thing that happens is you need to be prepared for a proper chat. <laughs> Real talk, Mel's not just a hug me. and leave. Well, Real talk, and it's not to be liked. Honestly, it's not to be liked. Yeah. It's just it's just a childish sort of thing. You know, we, we've worked with a lot of interns over the years. Yeah. People, what people need to understand is that ra- in radio and television, you will invariably, if you do a show that's regular, you'll invariably see some young person in the corner of the room who's never been, who looks a bit shy and is a bit nervous. Yeah. And you're saying, hi, you walk up to them, you go, hi, what are you doing? I say, I'm just, I'm just shadowing. <laughs> and I will always have a conversation with these people. But sometimes one in 10, that person ends up being a boss of yours one day. You know, you know what I mean? Or, or working in a very responsible place. And they, they always come up to you and you don't remember them. But you I always say, say were, things you like, kind to me. you said something yeah, to me. you spoke to me. You said yeah. something to me. I just like that. I don't know. I'm not, it's not put on any. It's yeah. not put on. I genuinely just like chatting to people. I asked my older sister the other day, I said, what's I like as a kid? Because, you know, you always think you know what you are. Yeah. My sister says, you were geek. Right. You were just a geek. Yeah. And I said, what do yeah, you mean? All DJs were geeks. In your right? room. Yeah. Unsociable. Yeah. Going around secondhand record shops all day. Yeah. In your happy in your own company, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> still that I gig. suppose so. Yeah, you know, and like you know, like I didn't even notice women. Yeah, I heard a rumor that the reason why you became a DJ as a teenager is so that you would you just wouldn't have to do the whole asking women to dance at yeah. the school disco thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I went to an old boys' school, very repressed. Didn't know how to socialize. Didn't know how to talk to girls ever. We didn't. It was a boys' school. Let's get into you as a kid then. Mm. So we know what your sister said. What was home life like growing up? Paint us a picture of where you grew up right. in Hackney, right? I grew up in Stoke Newington before right. it was trendy. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, um, I grew up on a road called Princess May Road. And um, my mum was like a childminder, so she was always at home. Okay. Which I didn't like. Right. Clearly, because she knew exactly what time I should be home from school. The school I went to, primary school I went to, was opposite my house. Okay. So my mum would sit at the window and look at the kids in the playground. She had a habit of doing that. There's right. not even no jumping over the fence and, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and having yeah. a, little, a little snog behind the behind yeah. the bins or none of that yeah. for me. My dad was he came over as a you know immigrant bus conductor They're from Saint Lucia. Both yeah, of them, right? yeah, way yeah. more intelligent than that. Right. But the job he got was a bus conductor. You know, it's a standard thing with a lot of West Indian um, yeah. parents, and um, so they they had really basic jobs. And did they meet in St. Lucia? They met in St. Lucia. It was a classic example of my mum and dad were both brought up not by their parents, right. which is by a key is a key or... thing. Yeah. Aunties, uncles, relatives. Mm. In in those sort of countries, you go where the work is. So if someone's got a job opportunity across the island and, and they're a mother, they'll just go, well, you look after my daughter, I'm off to work. You know, yeah. it was a bit like that. Yeah. It was all very practical. It was like, I grew up in a household where the word love wasn't used mm. it, there wasn't there wasn't the word hate used there wasn't hate in my house but the word you know there was no romanticizing yeah. it, it was all of it's all about you got to work hard you got to save you got to do this you got it was like i'm born to do a job this is like is this life yeah you know because you're all oh, my mum was really nervous she still is a very nervous person be right. careful be careful be careful i think and they, you think that's because of personal experience that she's yes. lived through yeah i think that now as i'm older i realize they were protecting us from the, the mini horrors they went And through. I think of her looking out the window at the playground, like, if I was a mother now, I'd want to do mm. that. But mm. 
I understand, like from her perspective, you know, she's, yeah. she's bringing kids up in a country that she's not lived in very long. Yeah. And I think that they had, obviously they had a tough time. Right. And they didn't want to tell us. Yeah. And they instead of saying this sort of stuff, so they would say, be careful. My yeah. dad was more, you know, work really hard, you know, save. Practical. Yeah, he yeah. was really practical. So you've got a paranoia from the mum. Sure. You've got a, this is what you need to do to survive from the dad. Work ethic, which definitely he instilled in me. Um, I'm more focused on my mum, though, in a sense, in the sense of her fear all the time. Yeah, you felt it. She still says it now. She still talks to me like I'm 10. Mm. Be careful. Are you sure? Do you trust that person? Do you all this sort yeah. of stuff? And it's like, Mum, enjoy life. What's Do you think left you inherited a bit of that from her subconsciously? I don't think I give that out. I think I'm definitely more my dad, 100%. Right. You know, stuff my dad is embedded in me. Mm. Um, but a bit of both. But I just look back and I think we could have had more fun. But and I who get, was we? Who did you live with? Um, three sisters. Right. One older, two younger. Okay. So my older sister was a is a female. She was not like me. She was like on her birthday. She's like, I want this. I want that. My birthday just after Christmas. I was like, I don't. I know I'm not going to get anything because you're skint. Yeah. I was always like, if you ain't got, I'm not going to ask them. Right. That was me. I'm not. Mm. I'm not going to ask. Them. My sister was like out raving at 15. I was like, what are you doing? I was more a good boy. But yeah. I was more biding my time. I was like, well, when I'm 16, I can say this to my mum and dad. And they can't say anything. I know because legally I can say this. Wow. And when I'm 18, I can legally do this. Yeah, I was like that. Yeah. What was respected in my house, and I think with a lot of West Indian families, yeah. was you bring an income in. Because okay. I was born in an era when you get a trade. You know, mm -hmm. There's no way I could say I, like, I want to be a DJ. No chance. Yeah. That was not a job. Yeah. And so I knew if I brought some money home and said, mum, here, this is my rent. I'm an adult. Yeah. And that's all I wanted. People say, were you ambitious? Did you Radio 1 and MTV? I said, no. My ambition was, number one, to be independent. Number two, to have a house. Number three, possibly get a wife. Number four, have a car. And number five, go on holiday once a year, please. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. That was my ambition in life. Yeah. So it's like you wanted to to be a grown-up. I wanted to be but normal. You were kind of aspiring yeah, to be I wanted a, yeah. to be normal. Normal, yeah, yeah. Like my white mates at school. Yeah. Tell us about that, because you've cited that as the biggest change of your childhood, going to grammar school. Yeah, massive. Why Why was it so it massive? It was massive, massive. A secondary school. So at the time I hated the idea of it. I look back now, and if I didn't have that, I don't think I'd, you'd know me. Wow. I seriously mean that. I went to that primary school. Mm. It's Princess May Road. I still get emotional when I drive past it. And we used to have a thing called the 11 plus exam back in the day, a little bit before your time, I think. Yeah. There were three kids that got, you know, top grades in the school and I was one of them. I just remember going, oh, I want to just go to Hackney Downs or Upton Park. They're the local schools that all my mates were going to go to and that's what I wanted to go to or Brookhouse. They're the three schools. And all of a sudden, my, the headmistress got onto my parents and said, I think, I think um, we should try and get Trevor into um, the, the grammar school up the road. I was like, huh? Grand, what grammar school? Mm. So the three of us boys that got those grades all went. Right. And we had to do interviews. Um, that, that, this is a school where one in three would get in. And I remember going into the school and being interviewed by the headmaster. Right. This is 1975. How did that feel? Bizarre. I had to read a um, some text and then he asked me questions on it. Then he asked me, do you know who John Stonehouse is? And I said, yeah, he's an MP who's run off with his secretary. 
And you were made, 11. Yeah, I was 10, 11. Because I read the newspapers. I love reading the papers. And then he asked me who won the Grand National this year. I said, Rem Rum. <laughs> Seriously. And a couple of weeks later, I got noticed. So I got in. Wow. That was, my, I suppose, my first achievement. Because the other two didn't. Oh. My two mates didn't get in. Okay. So I was the only one. But I was the only one from my school taking this bus journey which felt like five miles away. It's only two miles up the road, but it yeah. felt like miles yeah. away, whereas all my mates were walking to school. Which yeah. I, I just felt a red... That was a separation for me, you yeah. know what I mean? That yeah. was me walking with a little little briefcase and a strange uniform that no mm. one in my area was wearing, you know what right. I mean? And me getting on a bus and going to a school where... I went from a class that was very multiracial to a class where there were three black kids out of 30 mm. in a class. So that was very different for me. But... The kids, the kids were most interesting to Why? me because all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I started loving music and I had a mate called Fergus who, he loved the Buzzcocks, hmm. he loved Generation X, he loved the Stranglers and I liked Bob Marley, Linton Kwesi Johnson, Earth, Wind and Fire and we'd swap albums hmm. and then I saw a brown bread and cheese and pickle sandwich for the first time. Because we didn't eat brown bread mm. in my house. It was white bread. Mm. You know, little things like that. Yeah, like, yeah, what, yeah. What's that? Were you eating that? Yeah. Honestly, yeah. You've, you've yeah. Sound, you look amazed. Look at you. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I get it. For me, it, it yeah. was seismic. Yeah. Right? Just basic different cultural yeah. things that were different. And obviously, I And different in, class. Yes. I had mates that were really different to my mates in Hackney. Yeah. You know, that school was basically my life, the beginning of my life. And then at 15, I got a job as well, part-time job that, again helps me in broadcasting in a way that no one would understand. Why? I, I was in a greengrocer's. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I had to open this greengrocer's when I was 15. I got this job. I couldn't wait to get That's a lot of trust. Job. Yeah, he let me open his store. He was, yeah. Mr. Morris was asleep. I'd open his store, skateboard down there in the morning, open at 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday till 1, go and get his bagels <laughs> in a very Hasidic Jewish area yeah. in Stamford Hill. Yeah. And be, be this little black kid standing there with, you know, Hasidic Jewish people buying bagels. Yeah. And, you know, just having the gumps to stand there and say, yeah, 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 can I get two bagels, please? Can I get that? Can I get that? And then coming back and then serving the customers who were mainly women right. of all shapes, sizes, age groups, denominations, mm. races. The Irish lady who always wanted £50 of King Edward's. And so standard. Get them up to the. Always want the spots. Get them up. Get them up. To, get them up the block of flats. I deliver them as well. Wow. Then the Jewish lady, whose son was a doctor, who lived in Springfield, who liked yeah. her grapes and her and her William Pears and her yeah, yeah. Connie's Pears or whatever. Yeah. You know, it was like a fifteen-year-old talking to adults constantly and having to get on with all of them. Right. You know, it was really quite for me. It was a. I liked the hugely job. empowering for but a fifteen-year-old. I, I liked the job. Yeah. I liked the job, and it got me talking to people, and it got me out of my comfort zone very early in my life. Yeah. And I look back now, and I say, "Gosh, if it wasn't for that job, because I was a shy boy, yeah, I I wouldn't have had the confidence. You know, now I talk to those people on radio too. Okay, of course. You think about it. You think about of it. Of course. Little did I know. Yeah. Every little thing. Every little step of my life, I think, attributed to me being able to handle what's to come years later, you know? Mm. Being a minority in a room didn't bother me at all because I went to that school. It did not bother me. It didn't phase me. didn't bother that, me. Because that's like my abiding question from all of this is like mm. you, you see you in every context of your career, professional career, mm. and you are more often than not 
the only black person in the room on the schedule, yeah. on the lineup a lot of yeah. the time. Yeah. And it's remarkable. That hasn't manifested in some way in terms of like a, a feeling of, I don't know, I mean, you'd have to tell me what the feeling would be. I don't want to put that on yeah. you. but like, no, no, I think you're getting there. Marginalised, feeling othered, yeah, just it. feeling... Because <laughs> I've never said it. You know what I mean? Just feeling, yeah. feeling othered, just being that... Be, be, yeah, standing I, I, out all the time yeah, must be yeah, fucking exhausting. Yeah. But also... But also challenging and I'm ready for it every time. You know, yeah. I, was, I was built for it. Craig David had the most cheesy title on his album, Born to Do It. Mm. But I genuinely feel like that. You know, he was 18 when he did that album. Yeah. That album was phenomenal for him. That was ridiculous for an 18-year-old, right? He could have felt Born to Do It. I say to myself rather than to people that I think I, think I was born to do this. You yeah, know? It's your destiny. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Was there ever a point when you realised it? You know, because obviously now, you know, you have the benefit of hindsight mm. and your success and, you know, you can see how you've done it. But at the time when you were coming mm. up, when you were going through, when you were, you know, you were doing sound systems when you were in Kiss, yeah. was there a point when you were like, I know that I can do this and I can do this well? Yeah. Tell me. Radio 1. Right. So 1996, you yeah, joined Radio, Radio 1. Radio 1. And why? Tell me everything. How did it feel then? Um, you come from Pirate. Yeah. You're in the national station. It was, it's a it, whole different ballgame. It was It was not... I mean, we all have different journeys to Radio 1. You know that. Yeah. Right? Mine was... I grew up with Radio 1. Right. It, it, you, it was a beast. Whether you liked the music they played back in the day or not, you, it was it. You know, that was all. Mm. These DJs were household names. I mean, they're on top of the pops. They're on whatever you thought of mm. them. Everybody knew them. It had the monopoly. It on... was ridiculous. Yeah. It was yeah. ridiculous. Not that I ever said I want to be on Radio 1. I never did. I never thought I could ever do Radio 1. I never thought it was even possible. Did you have a plan? Like, were you ambitious? Uh, 100%. Yeah. That doesn't I, I, surprise I, I, me at all. 100%. After Kiss got a license, which was the first time my old man, I think, actually toasted me. To do with music because I had to hide my obsession with records from my parents. They just thought, "What are you doing?" Right. I would understand. I mean, mm. I spent every penny. I spent school dinner. I walked to school. Spent bus fare. I was a complete bore record geek. Yeah, the worst kind. <laughs> Even yeah. when I was on a dole for a few months, I spent yeah. the dole money buying secondhand records and selling them. Mm. You know. Mm. So I sort of. Thought Kiss was fun. It was an adventure. I never thought, you know, beyond. I just thought, how long can we do this for? Maybe mm. I'll end up being back in a shoe shop, you know, be become area manager in retail or something. And that, I yeah. didn't have that. And the world didn't really allow us to dream massively. Sure, you know what I mean. Yeah. To be fair, so why dream? Why dream mm. big? But when Pluggers came to me and said you should go for that Radio One show, that's when I thought. Hang on, pluggers are asking. So pluggers me. are people who who are music PRs. They push yeah. the music onto the radio. Yeah. yeah. So I was playing a lot of stuff on Kiss, and they thought I should be on Radio One. Okay. And to in be in terms of what you were playing, yeah, and they, what you were representing, how I was doing it. You know, you, you know, doing. like you find somebody who's on a smaller station, and everyone, everyone's pointing at them. They should be doing their yeah. better than that guy, or yeah, something yeah. like that. It was quite nice, and it gave me confidence to go for it. And also, Pete Tong gave me confidence to go for it. Yeah. I didn't have a relationship with Pete or anything like that. But he knew me, I knew him, I knew of him, obviously. And he, we were, I was at the award show once, and I remember he trotted past me and he went, you'll be on Radio 1 soon. And he said that, you know, you know, in only Pete's way. He's a man of few words. And he says everything in, everything a, in, in that voiceover so voice word. Yeah. You'll be on Radio 1 soon. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And it was ringing in my ears. And I, I, little did I know Pete was very influential at Radio 1, so I bet he put a word in for me probably. Yeah. But, I, you know, I submitted my demo and... When I got the show, 
immediately for the first time, Annie, everything clicked in my head. This is what I want to do. And this is how I want to do it. And I did interviews and I stated, and, I, and I, that's not something I would ever do. I said what, what needed to be done and I said what I want to do. And I said, if I can turn an indie person into buying an R&B record, my job is done. Because it was indie music was absolutely huge. huge. What, was your, what was your role there? When, when you came on, what did they mm. want you to do? Um, they wanted me to push the term R&B massively. Right. Right. And, and how did you feel about that? I, I felt fine because um, in America they used the term nonstop. We never used it over here. Yeah. We we I had a show. I called it the Street Soul Chart. We were trying to all these different names. R and B was rhythm and blues. It was old school. Yeah. It's an old school term. But in the Billboard charts, they always had an R and B chart. Yeah. I noticed, and um, boom, went R and B, R and B, and I got some hate. From people, that's not R and B. That's not rhythm and blues. You did get a couple of letters at Radio One. Right. I remember my producer saying, "That's all right. That's what we want." Because I played the Fugees mm. and I played "Killing Me Softly," and, and they were like complaining, "What is that?" And da 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 da. You know, yeah. that's a cover, and it's this and that. You know, the old, just the old school. Yeah, it was a big turning point. The mid nineties was massive, and I just knew where where I could take it. But I always think when you do Radio One, you're going to get five years. I always put that five-year thing. Five, if you get five years, you've done well. You've got right. a career. Right. Um, not, I didn't think about what happens afterwards. So I always had this, every show is like my last show. Wow. I don't treat it like I'm saying goodbye, but I try not to do bad shows. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. So you've you've been on Radio One for twenty uh, sorry at the BBC so mm. nineteen ninety six for twenty six twenty six years, years yeah. and then a kiss how long were you kiss um, ten in total right, five so. pirate of which three we were on air two we were off trying to get a license and five legal right yeah. so eight years broadcasting yeah, yeah. thirty five years you've been That's broadcasting on the radio That's yeah a long time you've interviewed everyone from Mariah Carey Mary J Blige J Lo. Muhammad Ali, Janet mm. Jackson, yeah, Muhammad Ali. Whitney Houston, Lauren Hill, <laughs> yeah. Madonna, the list goes on and on. Mm. What is the biggest lesson you've learned as an interviewer? Um, you do have to sometimes try and put yourself in their shoes. And right. I do because of my record company background. Mm. I know what it's like looking after artists. Mm. To get a good interview out of somebody, in my head when I do an interview, I have about three points in my head. The rest is just conversation. Yeah. I've got to listen to what you're saying. Yeah. That's so key, I've got it? to listen to what you're saying and come back. And it to sounds you. obvious. 
It's not. People make this mistake because all the you time. you can be so focused on the next question that you forget exactly. to listen to what the... It, yeah. So how am I going to get those three things out? So I might yeah. start with one and then you might go off on a tangent. And if I'm not engaged with what you're saying, yeah. I've lost you already. You're not going to be able to steer it back. I've lost you already. Mm. You're not trusting me. You're thinking, hang on, this mm. person's just gone to them. What's your favourite colour? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, and then you did a movie recently, and then bam, the bit, the clickbait one. You yeah, know, yeah. The one that that's they're on guard. Yeah. Now, nowadays, they're totally so on, on guard. guard. Whereas before, mm. you used to get these incredible interviews, mm. sometimes honest, sometimes fraudulent. You know, especially with rappers. I know rappers mm. are the worst. Mm. I loved interviewing R and B singers far more than rappers. Right. Apart from a few, Jay Z is a great interview. Mm. He's a, he's just a great interview. Um, Kanye was. Kanye was unusual, yeah. uh, but but he was always ne- never yeah. boring, never yeah. dull. But you get with singers, female artists particularly, I always found a certain either extreme vulnerability or extreme confidence. Yeah. Very rarely in between, mm. or both sometimes. No, occasionally, occasionally. One hiding hiding the other. Yeah, occasionally. But you yeah. can always yeah, interviewing is a perverse thing. Yeah, for us, I could have. Dug them in a hole so many times and buried them yeah. if I really wanted to, if I was yeah. a tabloid journalist. Yeah. But they always felt confident I would talk about the music. Mm. And that's what I kept coming back. And then you end up getting all the other stuff anyway. You get a little bit of the other stuff. You by, are, not, by not looking for it directly. You take someone yeah. like Mary J. Blige, probably the most honest woman I've ever interviewed oh, in my, my life. That's one of my favourite interviews She's, ever as well. She is just so brutally honest. And it's, she wears her pain oh, right just, on the surface. It's just, I can't not love her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because... The first time I interviewed it, horrible. I was at Kiss, horrible. Just, just a lost soul. Mm. Just, a, just somebody who didn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like her. I loved her music. I just, I mm. just, I thought I don't want to interview this person again. But the next time I interviewed her, a change was happening. Then the next time, and then you know, it's and then it be, we became like short of exchanging numbers, which I try not to do with yeah. artists. It was like she was running around telling me I've got a boyfriend. Yeah. You know, and if she, she ran down and said, oh, Trevor, I've got a boyfriend. Oh. Like a little girl. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And she Sweet. introduced me to him. And I was yeah. so happy for her because yeah. Mary J. Blige is somebody who was famous for not being happy and right. making great music when she mm. was unhappy. Mm. And um, I was so, yeah. But I felt a bit weird you know, mm. her telling me that. But that's trust. You've earned that. It, it is you've trust. You've earned that with it, her. It, it is trust. Yeah. But, you know, you, you get, you, sometimes you've got, I had Janet Jackson crying. Oh my god! In an interview once, and I knew I could have gone, I could have dug deeper, but I just didn't. I didn't want to. Right. She was literally crying. She just had a breakup, married marital split mm. or something, and she wasn't in a great place. This is when she did the Velvet Rope, yeah, which was one of her best albums. Yeah. And um, I I just sat there and I just thought, and I kind of hit myself nowadays about that because I I think she wanted me to probe. Mm. And I didn't probe mm. because I just wasn't on that. I just was about the music so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, those interviews are are amazing. I don't always look forward to interviews. Oh, babe, me neither. I really they don't. hang over my head, and I feel dread that I'm not going to do the there right thing or In ask the, morning, the right question. Th- or... Exactly, people go, "Oh, what a great job you've got!" Do you still have? I mean, this is something that I don't think mm. I'll ever get over. I just want them to like me. <laughs> well, like, yes, <laughs> this is a that, problem. That I always, have. No, but that always. I want them to walk away happy. Yeah, that and that's not the Which way. Which is not right. That's not the way you should enter an interview. I know. But I'm the same. I'm the same. I think the problem with me is I was 
sort of carrying a genre on my back at national at national yeah. level. That's a lot and, of responsibility at, at national level, right? Mm. I kind of envied you more though, mm. because I figure you can be disliked a little bit by some people because you've got a conveyor belt of all sorts of artists coming right. through. Yeah, and there's it's no all genres. Yeah, yes, there's no yeah. reason for you not to have a little because there are times there are a couple of people I really wanted to have a good dig at, right? You know, and I had to do it subtly. Yeah. I had to do it subtly. Kanye being one. Diddy being another, you know, right. I, I, I asked Diddy about hypocrisy, about always thanking God on the back mm. of every album, and yet the stuff you say and you get up to, and mm. his answer was always a classic. He always had an answer for everything. That's mm. why I liked interviewing him, actually, because yeah. he's got an answer for everything. So yeah. like, I don't think I'm going to get to the pearly gates and God standing there with a list saying, you said uh, 35 <laughs> M- MFers and, yeah. you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever, you know, I'm not going to let you in. <laughs> you know, he had an answer for everything. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. You know, but some people don't. They just look at it as, what? Yeah. You know, and they get that's defensive. it. That's it. Yeah. But, you know, as you said those names, it's been great. Do you ever stop learning? Like, I feel like as an never. interviewer, you can never stop never, learning. Never, right? ever, can, can I ask you about, like, so obviously you're on Radio 1. Mm. You are carrying, as you say, this kind of genre um, on your back. You are the spokesperson, not just audio, but visually, because you're mm. doing the lick on MTV. Yeah, so was, you were huge. Yeah, you, that, it was big. Like, what was your kind of peak point where... And did it ever feel like, whoa, I've really kind of reached a point yeah. here where I'm kind of out of control in terms of how famous I am? And Yeah, well, I think the beauty about what I did, the fame was never, you can't walk down the street fame. Yeah. It, was, it was music fame. It right. was music fame. So you I could think, still lead a normal life. I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was no social media. Yeah. I'm blessed never to have been. I don't want to be any. I've never wanted to be household. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm so happy with the level of fame I have. Every day someone stops me and talks to me about something, but I don't get this, I have to hide away. It's perfect. Yeah. Yet, I went to New York and I'm walking down the road on my own, probably heading to a record shop as always, mm. and I just said, Trevor! And I look behind me and there's a woman running, a young woman running with bags, shopping bags, flying, you know, like yeah. Chloe, yeah, yeah. I mean, Versace, whatever she had in it, yeah, just yeah. running down the street. And I'm like, is that Brandy? And it was Brandy, right? <laughs> and there's a huge security guy about, you know, there's security guys that are about yeah. 30 stone. You the couldn't side of house. run. And he's trying to keep up with her. <laughs> and she's running towards me. She, and she catches up to me. She goes, oh, my God, what are you doing here? You know, and all this, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing some record company stuff. And, you know, and she and she's probably just come out of Saks or somewhere. Yeah. And she's going, oh, my God, i got a show tonight. Can you come? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. She's having this long conversation with me, by which time the security guy catches up to her. Yeah. And I said, look, I've got something to do. I couldn't go. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't think yeah. so. Anyway, if you want to go, just contact my anyway. Yeah. Got to go. And she goes off. Yeah. And I just continue walking. And this guy walks up to me, this American guy walks up and says, excuse me, Bird, excuse me. Who are you? Was that Brad? Was that Brandy? And I went. Who are and you? And I just went. I went. Yeah. And he went. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> and I went. I'm nobody, man. And I just walked on. It was a. Lo- it was a lovely moment yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know it's that's what it is. It's yeah. like who knows me? No one. Yeah. Who cares? We've discussed these huge professional changes, big transitions in your life, but you cited a personal change as the biggest change in your adulthood. Um, yeah, I, I think we're talking about me getting married. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I I don't know what what I was doing. What age were you? <laughs> um, I think I was about twenty-seven. Right. Which for a DJ, it's very young because mm. we're we're based at seventeen. 
<laughs> Trust me. You know, Why do you say that? Because, because, because DJs live in the world of youth, yeah, basically. Yeah, live in the world of youth and live in the world of music and don't yeah. spend their money correctly. Yeah. I just got married on a whim. My mum had left to retire in St. Lucia quite young. She was right. only in her early 40s and she went over to St. Lucia. Wow. And I kind of needed her. I didn't realise how much yeah. I needed my mum because lots of things happened to me. I had a couple of kids. Um, how old were you? So you were in your, your late 20s, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was, so I was in my mid-20s kid. when I had my daughter, a bit late when I had my son. And I just wasn't, it, it, it was the wrong thing to happen. It should mm. never have happened. But we, we stuck it out for 15 long years. Right. And the the things that went on in my in my life, my social life at that time, you know, a guy I've described to you what I was living like. And then all of a sudden, I had this mad responsibility, mm. yet I was running around like a lunatic, and then I just completely stopped. I just literally stopped DJing, gave up. When? When you? Um, in the middle of it all, Kiss FM, I got taken off daytime, my head wasn't right. Right. It wasn't great at home at all. It was. Uh, there were a lot of things. I'm not going to go into them personally, course, but there yeah. were a lot of things going on. That affected your mental health, and oh, affected your I ability. On, I think I was, I think personally, no one knows this. And this is the thing about me internalizing everything. Like yeah, I said yeah. to you, I inter- even from my sisters and everyone, yeah. I internalized everything. And I had a really tough time. The term mental health, it wasn't mentioned in the 90s anywhere near yeah. uh, how it is now. But I look back and it's quite scary how I felt, you know, driving a car and thinking, you know, I could let go of this steering wheel right now and I wouldn't have any problems, you know. Right. And it's, I don't want to talk about it, actually. So that much pressure. Yeah, yeah. And responsibility. It was tough. It was, for me, it was really, really Did hard. you have anyone you could talk to? I think I did, but I didn't, I didn't allow it. I didn't, I did, I just, Mr. Independent, you know. Yeah. And, and for the sake of my partner at the time, who had so many secrets, it just made me worse. And it was, it was, it just wasn't good. If I give any advice to anybody, you've got to talk to people, let people help you, because I internalized everything and basically gave up. By the age of thirty, I wasn't DJing. Wow, I didn't. I, I had no income that. coming in. I was literally broke, and I was done. Wow, I was absolutely done. Even my sisters don't really know the extent of it. But I, I'm so proud. I wouldn't ask anyone. You find someone I've asked for a favour. Mm. You do do some research and say, can anyone tell me if you've ever done Trevor Nelson a proper favour? No, Some of no such say, thing. I, I bowled him a fiver when he left his wallet at home. Yeah, no such thing. I just don't, no. You don't ask. Yeah, and, and, and I think I should. I should have. Mm. I should have because it was really tough. So you're 30 and you, you've stopped DJing and then I'm just trying to get the chronology. I got fired right. off Kiss. Oh, I didn't know that. I got fired off daytime. I was still doing one show at the weekend, but I, my boss fired me. Gordon and he was really gutted. He just said, "Your head's not in it, mate." And I was doing a daytime show. Wow! And 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 I was loving my daytime show. And that must show. have been such a knock to you. Oh, this is on this daytime show, Annie. I I was the first person playing Massive Attack. Oh wow! I remember mm. playing the first Mary J. Blige song. You remind me from a soundtrack. And I loved the fact that I was getting these tunes and hearing this sound for the first time. So losing that, to me, would have been like unbelievable. But when he told me you're off, I didn't care. That's what happened to me in, in the short space of a couple of years. Wow. I just did not care. I was like, I don't care. I just, I, you know, as long as I can just about eat. And then I got to the point where I just about couldn't. So then I had to care. 
Because I, I, I had literally nothing left. Well, I basically did something that my son basically left the country and right. went and went to stay with my mum when he was one. Can you imagine? Can you imagine okay. how hard that was? Mm. So I basically turned around and I went. It was like exactly what my mum and dad went through. Yeah. was happening to me in a sense splitting the family up and what is going on you know but I turned around and I went right I started working seven days a week I just picked myself up started three club nights I told Kiss we need to do a different show and they gave me a show you know because Gordon could mm. see I was back a yeah. bit more and I just got my head into it 100% seven days a week and then I got a job at EMI. Ah, so that's your record label. At Cool Tempo, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And, and that's, it, that's a regular job, it's a regular income, so yes, you're kind of, on yes. a pragmatic sense, you're yeah. able to yeah. bring in money. So I was literally working Seven days a week. 70 hours a week. Like, literally. But you, you, you described it earlier as an escape, like it was, it functioned as an escape. Did it yeah, feel like yeah. that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But then I say this, from that day, my career properly took off. Right. From that day. So there was a change in your perspective. Something happened, something changed in your head to make mm. you. Yeah. Uh, the massive adversity. Yeah. The lowest point. You hit point. rock bottom. I hit rock bottom. I hit, short of being a drug addict, which I wasn't, thankfully, mm. I hit rock bottom. And it was circumstance rather than my fault or. Yeah, so without so getting was, into details, yeah, it was, it it was, was to, just, the roots of it was your relationship. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. It can happen. And I thought I was doing something none of my mates did. I was committing. I was... You were trying. For I was trying. trying. To make it work. I was trying. And mm. um, I did the right thing at the wrong time, basically. Yeah. So 15 years marriage and then you got divorced mm-hmm. and what did you, I suppose, as much as you want to say, learn from that whole episode? Just it, for many years I was bitter. Bitter because you stayed so long? Bitter about just Lots the whole situation, yeah, just the whole situation. Um, and then you get you get divorced and you're at a point when your career is almost at a crossroads as well. That's the thing about this game. You're never safe in this game. We're all freelancers. Never, We're all ever safe. There's always someone you know. wanting your job. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. That's the key thing. Yeah, but you're Trevor Nelson, baby. Oh, you, you can't. No, 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 no. no, no. Annie, no I refuse way. that for you. No, no, no. I'm sorry. At this point, the moment you feel like that, the moment you you're feel out. like that, you're done. Yeah. I will I know, never I feel like that. that. You well, you can say, say it, but yeah. you're done. Yeah. I've never felt like that. So, yeah. you know, I felt like God. Can I start again? Because after the divorce, you get divorces. It costs you. It's financially. It's, it's financially. No matter what anyone says, mm. I felt like starting again. Mm. And I had no idea. And that's funny. Around that time, One Extra asked me if I'd like to do a show. Mm. Now, One Extra is the youth station, yeah. real, the real youth station at the BBC. But I, I, I argue that it should be just the black music station yeah. at the BBC. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I felt, oh, I don't know if it's right for me in terms of the stage I'm at in my career. Yeah. But there's something happening with black music in this country that I've never seen before. Yeah. That's it for once it's not as sporadic as it was before, like one person having a hit there, one person yeah. there's a movement, actual something feasible happening here. Mm. I'd love to 
to help them out and do it. They needed more audience. They needed more. But wasn't it lovely to be part of a black music station? Oh, it was, it was a beautiful thing. I mean, I was <laughs> as opposed I, to being part well, of a station that's surrounded can, by. Can I be honest? I was yeah. in the minority at Radio One. We all know that, of right? course. And I, and, and I never. And you still are a radio too. Yes, that's, that's I, your I, job. It, it started what... again. Yeah, yeah. I started all over again. Yeah. Right. So that it seems like I'm the guy, right? Mm. It does that. So, but I remember when one extra was born, and I remember. You know, coming into the BBC, yeah, and you may feel this as a woman, as a yeah. as a broadcaster, because you were in the minority for a long sure. time, right? Just a few, a few of you, right? Mm. But look at it through my eyes. I've walked into Radio One. Mm. This big security guy, right? And that was it. He was the only black guy in the building. Oh. I can't remember anybody else. So it wasn't like going to school again. It was like going to school, 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 some other school again. Listen, I weren't going. Oh my God, mm. um, this is making me. No, it didn't. It didn't. I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. Mm. I knew what I had to do. There, but right? but is it's, do you feel like that there's a responsibility to prove stuff? Yeah, I because had, of that, I had a massive responsibility. I had a massive responsibility to be liked because it would help people who come after me. Right. I had a massive responsibility right. to be liked. There was still a culture. In the 90s, you could see the old school BBC and the new school meeting head on. Yeah. You could see it happening. I could see the change that was happening, right? Um, luckily, there were some interesting characters on Radio 1 at the time. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, look at all the big the big personalities. You had Westwood, you had mm. Zane Lowe, um, mm. you know, you had Chris Moores. You had these people who are able to mm. be disliked and mm. willfully go out of their way to fucking piss people mm. off mm. because they want their way. Mm. You were never that. I'm glad you said that, and I didn't say that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but there's there so true. many tantrums, walked, there's so I many walked, toys I thrown walked, out of prams. I walked into the building, and Evans was doing the breakfast show at the time, and wow, was that a time? Wow, wow, was that? That was some essential morning listening, though. Yeah. That was some crazy stuff yeah. going on. It was a real mishmash of people. I just wanted to meet one person, and that was John Peel. Because even though, and this is the thing, even though John Peel didn't play music I absolutely loved, yeah. he was a god at my school. Purely, be and I listened to his show just because he might play one reggae tune. He might play a hip. He might play. You don't know what he's going to yeah. play. Yeah, he might play a tune at wrong speed. Whatever. Yeah. We loved him at school, and he didn't sound like anyone else on radio. And one. how was he when you met him? Sleeping under a table. Oh yeah, the newspaper on his face yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> <laughs> that was that was it. So you know, I I knew that the scale of what what had to be done. I knew, and I, you're right. There were people, and I was never that guy. I just don't see why. But is it not that you couldn't be that guy? I, I think I think a combination. By nature, I'm not that guy, right? No. If you're no good at your job, yes, I sometimes wish I was the person to go, do you know what? You're no good at your job. Mm. Why have they put you on my team? I want someone better than you. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I did? I just worked harder to make sure the show sounded exactly the same. And that says it all. And Yeah, but was there something in me that wishes I could be that guy? who could say that. I, I can't work it out. I knew I couldn't be a problem. What would you say is the most challenging, or has been the most challenging part of your career so far? <laughs> Sorry. I've loved my career. I wouldn't change a thing about it, you know. Um, I, I, I think the most challenging thing was probably when at one point... I was on three radio stations. 
One Extra, Radio One, Radio Two. And Radio Two. two. So I joke Sorry, about can this. we just talk that this is... I don't think this has ever been done by anyone. I don't it's, think it has, no. incredible achievement. <laughs> yeah, well... A testament to you. Well, I'll I, I tell you how it goes, Annie, right? So yeah. I'm doing One Extra, which I had the most childish time on, obviously, where yeah. one, you know, early days... You did the that. breakfast show. Yeah, I did the breakfast show, which, you know, I felt just about able to do it. Yeah. Because, you know, you get to that age where you think, am I... Am I, right? am I the embarrassing old person? Yeah, am I right for this? Oh, yeah, I've, I've gone you there. Yeah, I've yeah. been there. <laughs> so you get there and you're like, and, but I was all right. They needed they needed some stability, I think, one extra. Yeah. And so one minute I'm talking. And I'm credence. Going, and you yeah. gave them that. Well, yeah. you say so. But mm. I'm saying, all right, so I'm like on, on one extra and I'm like, you know, talking about, I don't know, Kanye or, or, or mm. someone else or Migos. I don't know who. And then later that day, I could be talking to their parents yeah. on Radio 2. Yeah. Um, and then on the Saturday, I could be talking to a bigger sister or brother on Radio One. And so I felt like I was being generational every week. And it goes back to me being in it's, the green You're grocers. in the green grocery. You're Thank being you. so, you're adapting. I'm in the green grocers. I've gone to my, you're or kind gone of to school. You're shifting according to who you're talking to. Exactly. Yeah. I've gone to my grammar school. Yeah. I've gone to the green grocery. Oh, I'm in EMI Records. Yeah. You know, and all of this, I've never been afraid of being the only one in a room or in the minority, it doesn't bother me. In fact, at one point, I reveled in it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it around. I it actually reveled in it. I wanted it. Yeah, I, I reveled in it. My thing was, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to make you say, I want another one of him. I want another one like it. And that's all I care about. So I let, care let about. me ask you that then. If we, if, we, if we go back to the very beginning mm. and this idea of the Sam Cooke thing, change is going to come. Yeah. Have you, in the 35, whatever years you've yeah. been broadcasting, have you seen enough change? I've seen, Are you happy I've, with the change you've seen? I've seen a sudden rush of change. Yes, in the last in the last few years yes. since George Floyd. I mean, sure. it's gone. It's gone nuts. Well, not nuts, but it's just I've seen. Uh, I mean, where have all these people come from? You know, it's groundswell come out of nowhere like a volcano, which has you know warmed my heart to some degree. I have seen change. Uh, I, I and someone said to me, "What is the what's the key to longevity in this game?" And I say, "Passion and patience." You know, if you can somehow have passion and patience. You'll survive. You know what I see more than anything else? In production. Forget what you see in front of your face. It's the production. Mm-hmm. Give them kids a chance. There's a lot of talent. Honestly, I've, I've come across a lot of talent and they restrict themselves. They put a ceiling on themselves too much. Yep. And I say, no, you don't have to be brought up with a ceiling. You're not. There is no ceiling for you. And also, please diversify. Don't think just because you're at One Extra, you should stay at One Extra. Absolutely. Go somewhere else. Yes. The BBC is vast. Yes. This media business, not just the BBC, it is so big. Don't mm. be afraid to go freelance. Don't be afraid to go out on your own. If you are good, you will get the work because people do not want to hire people in this day and age, especially when money's too tight to mention. Yeah. There's no jobs for boys anymore. There's mm. none of that nonsense. Mm. You can't afford it. Mm. If, you haven't gone, if you're not going to bring something, I'm not going to hire you. Mm. Before you go, can I ask you about what you've learned as a parent? I mean, I'm listening to you giving pep talks. Yeah. You must, like, I actually... I'm as a pa- failure as a parent. Ah, really? I am. I feel like... I feel... Well, you've got I, a daughter who's an incredible selector. Right, and let me just say this. My daughter, I have to give her props. I mean, she's an amazing... I watched her boiler room. Her, her, she's amazing. I'm going to give her props. Can I give her props? Please. Right, I'm going to give her props because um, it's about time I did, officially. My daughter doesn't... You wouldn't know she was my daughter unless you knew. My first child is my daughter for an ex-girlfriend. 
Then I got married. This is the complication about marriage. I got right. married soon after. Okay. My daughter wasn't brought up in my house, you know, mm. and I was a crazy mad DJ. Having a kid at that age was like not the perfect scenario for a man who lives his life on the road. And yeah. you get what I mean? And then being in a new relationship, that's when I needed my mum to make sense of all of that. And I had a word with my mum about that not so long ago for the first time. I said, mum, I needed you, you know. Yeah. I realise now how much I needed you. You would have made sense of it all. You would have joined the dots for mm. I was... I couldn't do it all. So my daughter and I, you know, holidays, yes, all that stuff, but not dad being there like that, like I would have wanted to be, you know. But the interesting thing about her, she's my DNA, 100%. Her mum's mad about music. So her mum always had music on. I, my show was always on when she was there, you know, daddy's talking to you for a little bit. I'd go around to see her and just literally sit down and fall asleep. Right. Because you know what it's like when, you, when you're when you on the move and you, you're DJing and you, as soon as you get somewhere and you sit in a chair, you're yeah, gone. Yeah. And it's so sad. I look back and it was like that a little bit for yeah. her. So, you know, I owe her a lot. Mm. But to see her, the other day I said on Radio 2, she was listening to my show, I heard. And I said, I am so proud of you, oh, shy one. Right? Cry. Yeah, I said, I'm so proud of you. And she, you know, apparently she was made up because she plays hardcore as well. She's worse than me. Yeah. She's an internaliser. She doesn't ask for it. She's things. just like me. Mm. I'm telling you, she don't yeah. want to admit it, but she's just like Dad. Mm. And seeing her do graft as a DJ the way I grafted yeah. to get a name. And when people walk up to me in the street, they're like, your, D- your daughter's a sick DJ, man. Yeah, she really and is. people say this to me all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, she's done it all without me. She, I've not ever ever helped her beyond her asking me she's like me she doesn't ask you know and but I think she's she's a phenomenal talent she makes music as well something I couldn't do yeah I just pray fingers crossed that she stays with it and becomes and and she can make a living proper living from it because you're doing what your dad did to you (laughs) yeah I I mean it's and if she if you were her age and yeah you probably would be like yeah right dad yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, you, you say that about being a parent. The one thing I'll go to my grave knowing is that I, I didn't have the opportunity to be the parent I wanted to be with both my kids. And that, yeah. and that for me, is the biggest disappointment in my life. So if you could make a change moving forwards, mm. last well, question, what would that be? That, that we bond more. Yeah. And, we get, and, I, and I help her. Yeah. And if she needs me, I'm here, you know. And yeah. same with my son, you know. Yeah. And... Yeah, I'm 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 at that age now where, you know, I've got pets, I've slowed my life down, it's manageable. Moved out of London, right? Or I've out moved of on the outskirts of London. My I honestly I it's my life is so much better, so much more stable. I've got dog, cat, twenty koi fish, <laughs> two it. adult kids, and a lovely, lovely partner. Yeah. And um yeah, I just want the next ten years of my life to be the best ten years of my life. Trevor Thank you so much. Yep, no problem. This has been incredible. I hope so. It's been more than incredible. I really appreciate it. Uh, Annie, no problem for you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's like, I've never had a therapist, so this is like... (laughs) Sometimes it gets like that. Yeah, a little bit like Apologies. (laughs) 
Thank you so much to Trevor Nelson for that conversation. That was a real privilege for me getting to sit there and hear his story. Uh, I really hope that you enjoyed it. You can hear Trevor on BBC Radio 2 every Monday to Thursday at 10.30pm and every Sunday at 11am on BBC Radio 1 Extra. That is such a good radio show. Do check it out. Thank you so much for listening to Changes and don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast if you fancy it. It would be very, very helpful always just to get seen and heard and shared we release episodes every monday and we will be back next week changes is produced by louise mason through din productions see you later as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast that's indeed.com slash podcast terms and conditions apply